0: Welcome to episode one of Divergent Dialogues. Today, we are going to be addressing self-esteem. So we'll start off with a little definition of self-esteem. Self-esteem is a fundamental component of one's mental well-being. It is typically defined as a person's overall subjective emotional evaluation of their own worth. In simpler terms, it is how much an individual likes, accepts, and respects themselves on a global
1: level. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, so I think um, self-esteem is really important for um, autistic folks in their day-to-day life. I mean, I can certainly say for myself and my clients, um, you know, that's something that can pop up a lot of the time, um, where there can be a lot of struggles in that area, Um, and you know, I really feel like if you don't have a good sense of self-esteem, it kind of puts this um, dead knot on everything really, because when you don't have a healthy self-esteem, you're not going to enjoy your life as much. Um, you know, you're not going to have as close connections. You you may not have the confidence to go out and try new things. It's really important to have um, high self-esteem or just have any self-esteem really, uh, particularly for autistic folks um, that can experience a lot of challenges throughout their life that impacts on their self-esteem when we have high self-esteem we're able to cope a lot better we have high resilience we're gonna go a little bit out of our comfort zone to uh, achieve things and and try new things and when we don't have a healthy self-esteem we're not going to do those things it's gonna really limit us because we're not going to take a chance on friendships or relationships we're not going to take a chance on doing um, something new so it's, it's so important to understand our level of self-esteem and the impacts that, um, you know, the things that have impacted on our self-esteem because uh, that's something that can be changed. We don't just have to sit with uh, how we feel about ourselves. We can change how we feel about ourselves and how we feel that we fit in the world. And I think that that's a part of what we want to do through this podcast is for people to, um, you know, identify with us and our stories and um, understand themselves a little bit better and how they move in the world. Um, so low self-esteem, uh, there's been research, uh, with autistic folks that low self-esteem, um, you know, it leads to feelings of worthlessness, self-doubt. It's also linked with, uh, poor mental health. So, um, depression and anxiety. Um, but conversely, uh, healthy self-esteem often is linked with, um, having a strong autistic identity and connecting, uh, with the autistic community. Uh, so, And it's even been, um, they've done research that's shown that the more that someone was connected with the autistic community and uh, had a strong autistic identity actually had higher self-esteem. So uh, those aspects are really um, important. So, yeah, I guess, Tina, what do you think from like an ADHD perspective, um, why do you think it's so important for ADHD is?
0: For really similar similar reasons. I think that the idea of, um, you know, self-acceptance so accepting being an ADHDer, um and you know whether you are um the kind of adhd that just forgets everything and is always late or you know whatever your struggles are accepting that they are a part of who you are and doing you obviously doing things to try and um you know support those parts of yourself so they're not impacting on life but when you remove the the judgment from yourself for, you know, for being a little bit late, for, um, thinking that you can build Rome in a day before getting to your 9am doctor's appointment. Um, yeah, just being forgiving of making those mistakes and accepting that this is ADHD and these are the challenges that we have. And yeah, just accepting that, um, that, yeah, you can't get it right all the time, but you're not a bad person for making mistakes. Yeah, definitely.
1: So uh, Tina has some science for us today. <laughs> um, sorry, yeah. So you wanted to talk a little bit about, I guess, how, um, self-esteem operates in the brain. Yeah. So like, I think, um, you know, drawing from, um,
0: Harms's multidimensional approach, thinking about some of those inner world concepts, um, that impact self-esteem, like, uh, like the biological dimension, for example, um, understanding which parts of the brain are at play. So the amygdala, which is our you know emotional command center, so to speak, that plays a key role in self-esteem because it's kind of like the brain's drama queen reacting to <laughs> like positive and negative feedback. And research actually shows that people with high self-esteem have a more muted amygdala response to negative feedback compared to those with low self-esteem. So, so you know, when... Yeah. Yeah. So like when, when we do have a healthy self-esteem and someone, you know, gives us negative feedback about whatever, um, yeah, like our, our amygdala is not going to react to it the same way as if we would with, with low self-esteem, which I think is
1: really interesting. Yeah. That is really interesting.
0: Yeah. And then taking into account like hormones and and neurotransmitters, you know, well, serotonin and dopamine. So like the feel good chemicals, they're closely linked to, to self-esteem. So like low levels um, lead to feelings of unworthiness while optimal levels can really boost our self-esteem, which, you know, when we think about ADHD, um, dopamine is one of the things that our brains don't produce enough of. So um, yeah, that's really interesting thinking about the links between low dopamine and um, those feelings of unworthiness.
1: Yeah, and that makes sense. It makes sense that the research shows that Self-esteem is so closely linked with worthlessness and, you know, poor mental health as well. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, was there anything else you wanted to add, Tina?
0: Um, Well, like the psychological perspective of self-esteem, you know, it's influenced by our cognitive processes. So that's, you know, including the way we interpret our success and failure, Um, you know, how, how much we can, we understand the influence that we have over success and failure, uh, our perceived control over life events. And our ability, uh, sorry, our belief in our ability to, uh, achieve the desired outcomes of, you know, what we're, what we want for ourselves, you know, um, emotional experiences such as chronic stress or emotional abuse that like those things, uh, can really impact our self-esteem, um, from that psychological perspective.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I can say that for a lot of my clients, um, that. The common theme when I, a lot of my clients come to me for various different reasons, but something that really underpins a lot of their struggles is their lack of self-esteem and the view of themselves. And sometimes when we work on that together, it's amazing how much of a shift and a change that it can make um, in their lives. But of course, um, you know, there's a lot of relational, social and, um, you know, cultural systemic issues that impact on self-esteem, you know, particularly for uh, autistic folks, there is a lot of um you know, a lot of stigma, a lot of uh, misunderstandings around autism and, and what that is. So I think things are really changing now, particularly with the Neurodivergent um, affirming movement. but yes. you know there's some people do still get um really challenging responses when they let other people know that they're autistic and you know, will be misinterpreted um as well. So, you know, I, mean, I can at least speak for myself, like sometimes in social situations, it feels like I'm doing everything I can. And then you, you know, you hear back later that you, um, you know, been misinterpreted and you're like, no, oh, like, and then you're like spiraling and, you know,
0: and I think especially if you get on a tangent talking about your special interest and next minute someone sort of suggested that you're quite condescending because, you know, you come from an evidence space and it's like, oh my goodness, that did not, that wasn't meant to happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's really challenging to I don't know, I feel like diagnosis is like a blessing and a curse because I guess before I was diagnosed autistic, I was somewhat oblivious to some of these things mm. that I did and why I did them. Whereas, but I mean, no, like I still did have that process where, um, you know, you get negative reactions from people. So you learn to adjust your behavior through that. And I guess that's what masking is. Um, but yeah, I think in a way after I was diagnosed, I'm like hyper aware of, of those differences as well. Um, and yeah, and it can it can impact on your self esteem when you feel like in every situa- social situation that you're walking into that you can be perceived in a, a negative way or in a way that you're not, you know, trying to put across. So um, yeah, it can really impact uh, making friends or um, even just maintaining friends, maintaining friendships as well. Particularly if you've masked in the beginning, trying to um, you know continue that friendship.
0: Yeah. And I think um, from an ADHD perspective uh, for adult diagnosis, if we think just about what I was saying before about the um, the amygdala and the the muted response to the negative feedback when you have healthy or high self-esteem, if, if you've been getting, you know, they, they say research tells us that uh, an ADHD has received something like 20,000 uh, negative feedbacks, you know, wow. by the first like eight years of their life or something like that. Um, and if you think about all of that negative feedback that we're getting and we don't even have a diagnosis to try and understand, you know, all of this in the context of it, then it's just about, you know, you're a problem essentially. So yeah, thinking about, you know, taking that into, into life and the, the stress and the anxiety of constantly getting this negative feedback, it's really, really stressful and it, it is going to impact your ability to you know go for that promotion or um attempt to start a new relationship it's yeah, yeah. You, all you hear is that yeah those negative comments about yourself yeah. you know which are usually in that space of um you talk too much or yeah. you know like oh too much information that's an overshare yeah. and feeling like what that's just like normal sharing Yeah, so it's not understanding not understanding the negative feedback because, like, you know, just because someone's telling us we've talked too much or we're oversharing, quite often it can feel a bit like, oh, you think that was too much information. What am I meant to talk about then? Yeah. Um. You know, because something neurodivergent people don't do very well is superficial small talk. So, we're, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when well, like everything the- else is oversharing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I guess something to think about when it comes to self esteem as well is that we build it from when we're really young and, it's, you know, a lot. Of people that I've worked with, a lot of um, autistic folks, like they have these negative beliefs about themselves. That when we unpack it and talk about it, it stems from when they were really, really young, and it's these little insidious things that occurred when during their early development. Um, that you know they uh, were like socially rejected, or you know they um, were excluded, or uh, they you know were doing something and told it was wrong. And I think the the hardest thing. For a lot of autistic people because we, we we want an answer we want to know why um and I, I guess i can speak for myself like if i understand and know why something is occurring even if it's really hard you know something hard to swallow even about myself i can go okay well i've got that piece of information now i can decide what i'm going to do with that but you know when you're a young person who's being you know bullied excluded um you know being I guess disciplined by your parents in a way because they're told that um you know you if you're um not acting in a certain way um keeping in line or you know even by teachers at school you have to you know present yourself in a certain way um that it's you know it, it's it's really hard when you're told to do something but you're not it you, no one explained the why um yep. and you're just left wondering going okay i'm not meant to do that but but why not and you know for me to do what you're asking that feels really uncomfortable and yeah, you know, again, I think that things are changing, that parents understand that neuro neurodivergent kids have different needs. And I think in schools and things like that, but you know, like we're of an age where uh, when we were growing up, that wasn't, that really wasn't the case.
0: Yeah. Um, the asking, the asking the why was always received as stopping argumentative, Tina. Like you yeah. don't need to argue, just do as you were asked. And so like, oh, I'm not arguing. I just
1: want some context and background info. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, and I totally get that. And um, you know, when I'm working with families, um, that's a big part of what I, you know, if there are, um, you know, meltdowns and there's emotional dysregulation, I'll go, okay, well, why is this occurring? Like, what's going on? And usually when we figure out what's going on, a lot of the times it's really simple. And, you know, being able to address some of those needs and taking the time to explain to kids, um, you know, why you have to do certain things. So like, I, I can't think of an example for an autistic person, but like for an ADHD, I like you know, it's um, sometimes uh, ADHD kids can be quite impulsive and it's like, okay, when we're out walking on the street, you can't just run around everywhere because, you know, it's a safety issue, things like that. Like, it's like, if you want to run around and be boisterous, that's fine. Like do it in the backyard or, you know, do it in a space that's safe, but we can't just be going around, you know, there might be cars and things like that. So I think when, when a child is told something is wrong, but it's not explained why they learn to fear something that they don't even understand or they learn, you know, it's, it doesn't really get the intended effect.
0: Well, yeah, because when, when you do sort of have some understanding of that why, then that's when you can start to apply it to different situations. But when it's just a case of um, you don't don't run because we're near a busy road, then it from an autistic perspective, it's quite literal. Okay, you don't run near busy roads, yeah. but that doesn't translate to um, car parks, for example. Yeah. You know, like the danger is still the same that there's cars driving around and they might not see you cause you're a small, you know, that all of that context is still there. But the literal translation is you don't run near busy roads. This is not a busy road. So I can run through a car park.
1: Yeah. And I guess if we, you know, bring it back to self-esteem, I think you took a bit of a, um, <clears throat> a side quest there, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> you know, if we bring it back to self-esteem, um, I think a lot of the times when, you know, neurodivergent kids are provided with a reason they fill the blanks and the blanks are, I'm wrong. I'm defective. I've done something wrong. Um, You know, that there's something fundamentally wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of the times that's simply not the case. Um, You know, they may not have really done anything wrong or it may have been a misunderstanding or, you know, sometimes it's just that it's not a good fit. Um, You know, wherever the child is, it's not a good fit for them, like a school or or what have you. So I guess, you know, it's really important to When you're working with autistic people to consider their self-esteem as part of the picture, because I feel like self-esteem is something that impacts so many aspects of your life. Mm.
0: And yeah, you know, talking about the, um, you know, what is self-esteem and yeah, talking about those, those sort of childhood examples, the the environmental factors, particularly during the formative years, they have such a substantial impact on self-esteem. You know, those childhood experiences, um, parental behavior, you know, how much does a parent understand about a child's uh, neurodivergence? And do they even know that their kid is neurodivergent? But I think also importantly, does the parent know about their own neurotype? Um, you know, as you know, I started my parenting journey, not knowing my own neurotype, not knowing that I was autistic ADHD. Um, and back then when my kids were small. It was so overwhelming and so overstimulating yeah. and, um, yeah, if, if I had known back then, maybe things have been different. So yeah, parental behavior that really influences that development of, um, self-esteem, uh, the social circumstances, uh, how much time do people have to, to give to these kids and, yeah. you know, cultural values as well, that it's all either going to nourish or undermine a person's self-esteem. So yeah. I think that it's, it is really important to yeah.
1: understand. Yeah. And that's a really good point that you raised about, um, parenting. Um, so some of the families that I've worked with, um, you know, the parents have, maybe they're pursuing, um, support for their child, but they, they're not, um, I guess they haven't come to terms with, you know, whether they're not neurodivergent or, or what have you. And, um, and, you know, sometimes because of their needs, so like their sensory needs or, you know, their executive functioning, um, challenges or, or what have you um, they struggle to, um, support their neurodivergent child in the way that they, they want to. Um, you know, when, when, when a child is really, like, they, um, they love their vocal skins and they're, you know, <laughs> in the way, And then it's like. And you're a mum with
0: sense, <laughs> like auditory sensitivity and you're standing there going, OMG, can you please not make
1: that sound because my brain's going to explode. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's, um, yeah. it's challenging. Yeah. So I think sometimes uh, like, I work with, with dads, but a lot of the mums that I've that I've worked with, it's um yeah, they they really beat themselves up because they feel that they should be able to um I guess support all of their neurodivergent child's needs, but they also need to support their own as well. And that can be a bit of a, a bit of a balance. So
0: Yeah. I I remember um, working with a dad. um, He he's an ADHDer, and you know he just had so much love for his young daughter. And his his wife had been trying to encourage him to spend more time doing her types of stuff. And we had this very interesting conversation about how can I tolerate playing Barbies? You know, um, he he just wanted to be able to do this. I'm like, well, ADHD is a self interest driven. Condition and if you were not interested in Barbie, I don't know how does she feel about playing footy. <laughs> so yeah, it, it um it it understanding understanding some of the the lesser talked about parts of autism and ADHD can be helpful when you're when you're trying to make these changes in your life. Um, you know, he felt so horrible about himself and had so much um you know negative self talk about the fact that he couldn't tolerate playing dolls with his daughter because he wasn't getting any any sort of dopamine out of it and he felt like he should have been. And, you know, working through that, well, there's lots of other activities you guys can do together. It doesn't have to be this one. Um, You know, that, yeah, The that that had a big impact on his
1: self-esteem and, yeah. uh, you know, the way he was talking to himself. Yeah. And honestly, I think the biggest thing that parents can do for their children is to accept them. Yep. Accept them for who they are, um, you know, you're not going to always get everything right. Like there's no such thing as perfect parenting. (laughs) Well, the concept of good enough parenting. Yes. By circle of security that, you know, talks a lot about that. I guess for kids having, you know, looking back on their childhood and having their parent accept them and try to understand them. Um, I think that's, yeah, that's so important. And, um, I think that's all really kids really, really need.
0: And, you know, Russell Barkley, uh, he's, he's one of my faves. He talks about the concept of, um, shepherding your children, like as a parent, um, you know, rather than seeing your child as an extension of yourself, and then therefore applying all of your stuff to them, recognizing that they are, they are a human being in their own right. And they're going to have their own interests, opinions, strengths, limitations, or challenges. Um, and learning who they are but then just being that shepherd to guide them through and navigating life so you know when they want to go off to university being the one to show them the way rather than telling them what to do Uh, and I, i really like that idea because it really gives space for for your kids to be whoever they are and you as a parent completely accepting all of that and saying, okay, well, this is who you are. This is who I am. In the context of our family values and the way our family operates, this is the pathway we're, we're going to take. Um, and at any point, they can they can go up on another pathway, um, but at, with
1: full acceptance from you as their parent. Yeah. And it's really interesting though, now that I'm thinking, is that often, you know, when I see children and families, self-esteem isn't really brought up until I, I kind of talk about it or bring it up. It's not... You know, well I mean, let's face it, often when a parent um reaches out to me, often it's the school. The school has come to them and said, look, there's all these behavioral issues. Um, you need to go um and and see someone to sort out these issues and basically fix your child. And they come to me and I'm like, All right. <laughs> uh let's let's see what's actually going on here. And, you know, when when a child is told day in, day out, that everything they're doing is wrong. Mm. They give up because they're like, well, I can't um, learn in the way that I feel comfortable. I can't talk in the way that I feel comfortable. I can't exist at school in the way that I feel comfortable. Everything is wrong. No one's told me um, what I need to do or if they do, I go, what? Like, I don't get that or that doesn't sit well for me. Um, So even just, you know, having one session where we're just talking about the child and their strengths and what they, you know, it, it does absolute wonders, you know, sometimes like that hasn't been the discussion at all. Um, and yeah, it's really sad when that happens, but um, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel really privileged to be able to support families to put them on the right track and to be able to advocate, um, you know, for their neurodivergent kids. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, parents and and schools, they have such power to be able to support the trajectory of their autistic and or ADHD kids, um, you know, setting up that really good foundation of self-esteem for when they're young. Ah, so when they're older, um, you know, they're, they're feeling strong and they have a good identity. They understand their strengths and their challenges and they can go on into the world um, and be their authentic self. Yeah. I, I, Completely
0: agree. I think it's, it's really important. And, you know, we've just talked a bit there about, um, I guess, understanding who your child is, you know, touching on the idea that um, the age in which a person is diagnosed can impact self-esteem because obviously knowing the earlier, you know, you can make those accommodations for yourself um, and whatnot. And I think something else that is really, really important to talk about that impacts self-esteem, which I can get a little bit soapboxy about is a bit ragey is um like the discourse surrounding um adhd and autism um so like starting with adhd um there is it's the stigma around the diagnosis and the stigma around taking medication for adhd um you know it there is still such a strong narrative out there that adhd is not even a real thing it is just poor parenting and, um, you know, like willful laziness or, uh, whatever they want to say, uh, you know, it's, it's not, you know, there's 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 enough evidence out there. There's enough research and studies out there about the brain differences, um, like the, the, the lower production of, uh, dopamine and norepinephrine just to start with that indicates it's a, it's absolutely a real thing. And thankfully they've also understood that. Stimulant medication, and there's the non-stimulants as well, uh, can help with increase that production of those brain chemicals, which doesn't make it all go away, but it certainly helps level the playing field a little bit. But then our medication is also stigmatized um, yeah. and, you know, there's a, a negative uh, connotation attached to it um, if, if you're using medication. And the idea that, um, you know, people only should be taking it when they're at work or when they're at school, but you know. If, if you need to if you need that support to to concentrate and focus and and regulate yourself why can't we be doing that when we're at home on the holidays on the weekends you know like I want to be able to concentrate on my hobbies and a conversation with someone yes. uh, just as much as I want to be able to concentrate on my work but there's there's some sort of shame attached to the idea of relying on your medication yes every day and it's like well you know other, illnesses, diagnoses, conditions, whatever word you want to insert there from the medical model is they're allowed to take their medication every day, but we're not, you know, it's just yeah. that, that has a big impact on self-esteem because ADHD is, uh, and autistic people hear the message over and over and over and over that we don't try hard enough, yeah. you know, like, um, from an autistic perspective around sensitivity and uh, sensory stuff. I don't try hard enough to be able to tolerate eating a banana. You know, I'm never going to get over that furry exterior and the slimy interior. It just doesn't work for me. But There's just that constant feedback that, well, if you just try it, why don't you try doing it this way or that way? And it's like, it's still furry and slimy. They don't go together. It doesn't work for me. It's not about trying harder. And you know, when we then get that, that feedback around medication, and the idea that uh you just need to try harder, um so you don't have to rely on your medication. It's just more of that negative negative yeah. feedback.
1: I totally agree. And yeah, shame is such a big thing. It's like you should feel shame for being an autistic and/or ADHDR if if that's accepted, because there is the whole rhetoric around, oh, you're just lazy or whatever you are or yeah. um, you know, invalidating. But so it's like, okay, so you should feel shame <laughs> for Being neurodivergent, Um, but then you should also feel shame for um, accommodating yourself or supporting yourself or by whatever means possible. So you're between the, you know, you're kind of stuck in the middle, going, okay, well, I've got these needs, but if I address these needs, then that's not valid either. So it's like, well, where where do you go from there? And it just it puts people in this really negative space where it's like, I know what I need. Well, well, for some people, maybe that's a struggle as well, but you know, for some people, they, they know what they need, but they feel shame to, um, to access that or yeah. it's, yeah, it's really terrible. I, um,
0: I went to my pharmacy to fill my ADHD prescription not that long ago. And my pharmacist actually asked me, "Are you sure you need all this. And I'm like. Um, I don't know how to answer that. That's, that's my script from my psychiatrist. Yes. Can I please have that filled? You know, and it was just instant shame. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's really embarrassing. I don't know what to do. So now I get my medication delivered.
1: (laughs) Thank you to everyone for joining us for our first podcast. We're really excited to, um, you know, to, to start this podcast and get it out into the world. Uh, So yeah, it's been a really good discussion around um, self-esteem, um, helping us to understand what it is and also what I guess influences self-esteem. Um, So next week, we'll be having a look at the the barriers to fostering self-esteem and also some strategies for you to be able to support yourself to grow a healthy self-esteem.